there, I'm Alyssa Olenek, scientist, exercise enthusiast, weightlifter, outdoors lover, and entrepreneur. I believe that the extremes in the fitness and wellness industries are leaving way too many of us out of the conversation, not telling us the knowledge that we actually need to succeed in our health, our wellness, our nutrition, and quite frankly, our lives. They end up giving us black and white polarizing messages that leave us more confused than giving us the answers that we need. Through my 10 years of studying exercise science, metabolism, and female physiology, as well as exploring the outdoors and being a fitness athlete myself, I'm here to bring to you the conversations that need to be had in an industry that often is too far focused on extremes. So if you join me on this podcast, I truly believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. I am really excited today because I have my guest, Laura Hall, who I've become internet friends with, and I think that the creation of internet friends has made, actually just become the creation of Outdoor Adventure Buddies, which is perfect because that's what we're here to talk about today. So Laura and I met through the gram, and we have connected on our mutual love of mountains and outdoors and adventuring and kind of reducing the barrier of what it means to be outdoorsy, getting outside, doing those things. Laura luckily lives in a gem of outdoor places. She grew up in Colorado. She lives in the Pacific Northwest. I actually met her in person this summer and visited her um, in her hometown of like Olympic National Park, literally, um, which is really cool. So she's awesome for adventuring within your own area with your own adventure bucket in your car always looking for something to do on the go um with the match contrast of i live somewhere that is pretty remotely close to decent places to go but not an everyday type thing but i have made the most out of it these last few years and had a ton of adventuring under my belt through all the trips that i've taken and little like dirtbaggy adventures i had in my early 20s so we wanted to come together today to talk to you about how you can adventure more in the new year um what adventure looks like what it actually means redefining what adventure looks like you know not always thinking large scale but also small scale and you know making it accessible to you and what it needs to look like for you and your life and how to fit it in every season and chapter. I hate the word balance, but prioritizing it sometimes versus others whenever it's necessary. Um, and then giving you some tips on how to do it on a budget, working it into your day to day life, planning trips, being safe, um, all those kind of good things that you guys had. And anything we don't cover in the episode today, we're going to do a Q&A based off your question box responses from Instagram as well. If you are listening on the pod um, if you could do us a favor to rate, review, subscribe. If you listen to this, share it to your Instagram, share it with a friend, tag us, let us know. And if you're watching over on YouTube, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, comment, tell us something you learned that was exciting, how you're going to adventure more in the new year. We would love to hear from you. So without further ado, Miss Laura Hall. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I'm super excited for this convo. Um, I think it's something that you know a lot of people are looking to add more adventure into their lives. So um, yeah, I'm excited. So to kick it off, Laura, why don't you tell us a little bit more? I think a lot of people, they know me and my crazy ultra running lifestyle trips that I do, but tell them a little bit more about you, what you, you grew up doing, um, what you do currently and kind of how you've reframed what you viewed adventure. Cause I know that you grew up in an environment that's a lot different than most of us where mm -hmm. you were kind of born into adventure where I was not. So we can kind of come from that on both ends, but I think that it'd be awesome for you to kind of cover a little bit of like how you kind of got into outdoors just by default and got really lucky and how you kind of, I know you've talked a lot about how you realized that not everyone grew up like you did and you had that realization later in life um, mm -hmm. and kind of how that has helped you reframe your approach to getting everybody outdoors. Yeah. Um, so I am, um, I grew up in Colorado. I'm the product of parents who took their guests whitewater rafting 
um, for their wedding reception. So that kind of tells you a little bit about the environment <laughs> I grew up in. Um, my dad owned a rafting company um, in Montana before I was born. And they just kind of like, when um, I have an older brother and when we were both born, like my parents didn't stop living their adventurous lives. Like they just kept doing the adventures they were doing and they just like strapped on backpacks and put their little kids in the back. And like, um, so we have all these pictures of us as like, you know, babies and backpacks, like snowshoeing at Crater Lake National Park and, um, you know, going up into the Rockies and um, just like all of these really cool adventures that, you know, really kind of, I mean, from before I could even walk. Um, I, I grew up like kind of in the Denver suburbs, but we literally spent like every single weekend um, up in the Rockies. Um, you know, in the wintertime, it was skiing. I learned to ski at Vail and Keystone when I was like three years old. And then um, hiking, like I think I went on my first backpacking trip when I was like four or five years old. Um, and it just kind of continued on from there. That was just like, I just thought like, like you said, like, I just thought that that was like how everyone lived their lives. Um, I had like no idea that there were people that didn't get to grow up this way. And, um, you know, I, I think I had that realization um, kind of recently um, in the last five years or so that like, oh, like I was actually like incredibly lucky. And um, I think a lot of the times I probably like, probably like took that upbringing, um, like took it for granted a little bit, but um, looking back, I am super grateful. I feel like I have um, <clears throat> a lot of habits and a lot of knowledge that's just like kind of second nature to me that uh, might not be for someone else. And so, um, you know, having that realization and now like just really like wanting to like bring people in and like teach them that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be this big, scary thing. And um, there are little ways to to fit adventure into your life. And um and yeah, just like helping people like get outside and realize like the benefits of that physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, and so now, um, yeah, I've made my way to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I live on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. Um, literally, Olympic National Park is my backyard, um, which is super awesome. Um, and so I'm just kind of like a jack of all trades adventurer, I guess. Um, still skiing, mountain biking, hiking. Um in the past like year or two gotten into trail running, um, and like paddling, kayaking, just kind of, um, yeah, Jack of all trades adventure. What I think is really important to highlight here, and we aren't going to talk about this a ton in today's episode simply because Laura and I don't have children, but a ton of you are parents and you did ask us, um, about getting kids outdoors more, what that looks like adventuring with children. And so well, we are not experts on this, so we're not going to give unsolicited advice on how to handle children because that never goes well for anyone. Um, we, I will say that I think that the biggest thing is like when I talk to my friends who did grow up with parents who did things like this is that they simply just took their kids along and integrated their kids into their lifestyle. And of course, maybe you're not taking your toddler on like, you know, a, a class four scramble up a mountaintop, but like you are maybe taking them doing like you know, safe, comfortable things within that backpacking, hiking, things like that. So for so many people, I think that's the consensus. And there's obviously going to be smarter, safer ways to do this. But I know people who bundle up their babies and take them backpacking and hiking and all of these things. And, you know, obviously there's different aspects of having children that you have to factor in like food and diapers and whatever else it looks like. But it doesn't mean it's impossible. So 
Again, while Laura and I do not have children, so we're not experts on this, I would encourage you to seek out resources. I'm sure there's pages out there like Instagrams, podcasts, blogs, whatever it is. Um, but a quick Google can get you a lot of really good, helpful information. I'm sure REI and Outdoors Online even probably has resources. That's usually a really good go-to for information for the general public um, if you do want to bring your kids out in nature with you. So we will encourage you to do that so they can grow up with the love of the outdoors that maybe you have and we have and become a Laura than I who went camping with the Boy Scouts because I didn't have that as part of my normal life. So I used to pack up my stuff and go camping with my brother and dad because my brother was a Boy Scout. My dad was the leader. Um, and I used to set up my tent in my backyard growing up all of the time, even when I had campouts with friends. So even before I really got into outdoors, I feel like I had that nudge to do that kind of stuff. Um, and even as simple as that, I slept outside with my dad in a tent. My dad literally would sleep outside in a tent with me. Now looking back, I realized how much that probably trashed his night of sleep, but don't think big all of the time. And so that's going to pivot us into this first segment of our podcast today is that let's redefine what adventure actually means, because I think so many people get hung up on this idea of being outdoorsy or adventurous or having these, you know, these experiences only means these big epic trips. And I will take fault for this partially from my audience because I do take big trips, right? I've been taking big trips since my since I finished college. I made that pledge to myself to start doing these things and adventuring more. And um, I did anything I could in my master's and early PhD to fund these crazy adventures and things that I, I just wanted to go see places and do things. But it didn't always mean that those are the only things that I've done. So the other videos on my YouTube or the stories of my trips that I take are not the only times that I'm outdoors adventuring, doing things. There are so many tiny micro adventures in between of places and things that I did in cities because you can have adventures in cities and or small parks, small areas that always felt just as rewarding, even as those big days. So yes, going big, beautiful places is fun and epic and it's incredible. And I do encourage you if you have the means to do that spend your money to go stand on something tall that's beautiful you saw in a photo somewhere. But um, at the end of the day, there's adventure around you. You just happen to open your eyes to it. And I know that, Laura, I don't know how you feel about this, but I remember a lot of my story is that in my early, like late teens, early 20s, I just resented people who like went out and had adventurous lives. Like I just, I hated them. I felt like they were lucky. My brother was one of those people. And I was like, well, I always have to work and I have to study and this is bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And I had such a limited mindset of what it meant to be adventurous and outdoorsy. And I, I craved it so much until I realized, and this ties into my year of radical self-responsibility, my friends, is that <laughs> I have a choice to, to do things in my own life. And you can have adventures in the cities that you live in and places that you're visiting, or you can stop along the way to somewhere else that you're going or take a detour or, or go somewhere. There are so many places, I guarantee, within a four-hour radius, which I feel like is a realistic time travel distance for a weekend trip or a day trip even, um, that are around you that you've probably never considered because you didn't factor them in as being quote unquote big enough. So Laura, mm -hmm. let's talk about tiny adventures right now. Laura mm -hmm. of course lives in the wonderland of the Pacific Northwest. So obviously like, yeah, she has a ton of things at her disposal and everyone's going to say, well, I live in the Midwest and there's nothing, but 
I think taking this approach to your own life is something that will allow you to see more adventures in the places you go. So Laura, can you tell us more about your, your, your small adventures and your adventure bucket and like how you approach this as a, you know, Laura works as a nurse and she's a wife and a dog mom. So she's doing other things too and running her business. So can you talk to more about how you fit adventure in, in small doses? Um, cause I feel like you do a really good job at the small dose thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is, um, something that I kind of learned when I was in nursing school when, you know, I didn't necessarily have the time or the funds, um, in order to take even a weekend trip away. Um, and so what I do is I have this little adventure crate in my car and it has like some little, um, packets of like protein and electrolytes and my trail running shoes and, um, my like trail running vest. Um, And just like a couple other random things that I feel like I would, you know, need on kind of any various adventure. Um, And again, like where I live is epic. There's trails all around. Um, But I think that this is something that kind of everyone can take little bits from. Um, I like one of my favorite kind of micro adventures, um, especially not so much right now when it's freezing cold and snowing. Um, But one of the things that I do is... um, So I live super remote. I live um, about an hour and 15 minutes from the nearest Walmart. Um, And so when I like make my drive from home to town to do grocery shopping, um, part of that drive happens to be around a lake. And yes, it's like a magical national park lake, but um, I would take my cooler for my groceries and then on the drive, like home, So I'd like go into town, run on my errands. And then on the drive home, I would stop and park, you know, my food was safe, it was in the cooler. um, And I'd get out and I'd go like paddle boarding for a half an hour. So just like these little tiny things, like break up the drive, get outside, do a little bit of adventuring, um, and then go home. And it's like that tiny little like 30 minutes, like, you know, it might not seem like this big epic adventure, but over time, like those things add up. And it's like, you know, fitting those like little tiny adventures into your everyday life. is what like, I mean, for me, like really brings like a lot of that, like clarity and like mental and emotional, like release and happiness and all of that. And, you know, again, like it doesn't have to be this like giant, big adventure. Um, And similarly, you could do the same thing with like trail running or a hike. Like, you know, maybe you look at your map of like where you're kind of commuting to, you know, run an errand and maybe there's like a state park in the middle that you've never explored you know, stop by, like do like, you know, go on like a couple mile hike, like on your way home from your errands. Um, and just like little things like that. I think that, you know, even if you are like living in a big city, um, you know, there, there are options for that. I think there's like state parks within, I mean, there has to be like, I mean, I can't verify this. I've never actually looked at it and I'm sure someone will yell at me if it's not true. Um, but like there you know, there's state parks, there's county parks. It doesn't have to be a national park. Um, actually, one of my favorite places to go is where um, I took Alyssa when she was out here last spring. Um, and that's just this like random like column county park. Um, and it's like got these beautiful like tide pools and hiking trails and trail running trails and like bunkers you can explore. And, you know, there's there's stuff like that everywhere. You just have to to start seeking it out a little bit more. So I always like the saying, um, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And I think people really underestimate that, like, instead of thinking of like, 
okay, and I, 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 I've done this a ton in the past of when can I rush to my next big trip rather than asking how can I fit what I love into the life I'm already living? Because those trips will be there. Those milestone trips, those plans, the big stoked objective things, they can be there if you want to do them. But they, they aren't necessarily going to be your everyday outdoor adventure. And so I do want to acknowledge too that like access to green spaces and parks like is a very socioeconomic issue. Not everyone has that, but um, there, I feel like there's becoming a better, bigger push for green spaces and that the benefits that you get from being outdoors isn't limited to like stoke filled nature, but like you get it. Like if you just go outside your house right now and sit under a tree, like you can get the benefits from that. So it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be that big. And I, I mean, I'm going to even call myself out here. Like I will always complain about how much I miss outdoors and I miss the mountains and I miss trail running, but I drive past a small state park locally every time I go to the gym. Every time I go to the gym, I drive past it. I have been there once and I've lived here for five years. Once, right? <laughs> I have no excuse other than I'm busy or I have too much to do than to stop on the way home from the gym one day and for 30 minutes sit outside. Probably would do my mental health a little bit better, but I never do it. I drive past it all the time. I went there last year for the first time ever as a micro adventure. And like, it wasn't like the best, most beautiful place I've ever been in my life, but I did feel better because I got to spend time outside. And that's the point is that like, it's, it's those little things that add up to the big things, but also help you gain your confidence and your knowledge and your trail feet for those bigger things. So when I first started trail and uh, before I started ultra running and I started trail running, there was this teeny tiny, not even state park. Like it was like a local park, like a city park um, down in Bowling Green, Kentucky by the Barron River. And it was just this like random three miles of looped trail for mountain bikers because um, there was like some mountain biking there. And I would go and run these three mile loops. It was like a mile from campus, a mile back, three mile loop. I'd run like a five or six mile run. And I'd go run these loops in the hot, disgusting, early summer, Kentucky, humid days with horse flies attacking me and cotton shirts and running shoes, right? I didn't start doing these things by having all of the perfect stuff or having the be the perfect adventure or the biggest adventure. I just started doing it because I, I got curious and that's what I did. And I did, you know, I did things the Gumby way, which is like the newbie way of saying you did things. But I didn't let that stop me from figuring it out. And I, I developed so much of what I call like my trail feet on those, those small trails and those, those hometown things. So my first homework assignment for you all, before we pivot into talking about actually planning bigger trips, because that is a thing, is that I want you to get on the Goog. I know I'm a big Googler, but I want you to get on the Goog <laughs> or go to trailrunproject.com or all trails or what are, what even is out there anymore? There's, there's so much yeah. stuff. Um, what I mean, my favorite one that I use here is um, it's the Washington Trails Association. So I think just like Googling like the state that you live in and trail association. Um, I mean, I imagine that there's some sort of similar thing and even Strava, honestly, like you can get on Strava and look at like segments of like where are people riding their bikes, where are people running. Um, and yeah, yeah. So I think that's I mean, good yeah, too, Strava, because I think that. I also want to really emphasize, well, a lot of people, when they think of adventure, they think of outdoor adventure. Adventure can be city. People really talk down on city like it's a bad thing or places and stuff. But I consider that just as much as part of the adventure of going places as well. And running in a new city or exploring somewhere by bike or by foot or whatever that looks like can be adventure too. It doesn't have to necessarily be like 
a, a, an outdoors place. Like I remember I wrote down in my goals list in like 2000, my, I want to say like 16 or something, 17 when I was making my new year's resolutions, it had to be 15 or 16. Like all these cities I wanted to visit that were with like in a two hour radius of where I was living or where I was going to be living that I had never been before. And like when I lived in Kentucky, I used to drive to Nashville all the time by myself and just explore. I went to concerts by myself. Like when you think of having an adventurous bold life, you got to think bigger than just only outdoors. Like there's ways you can do this all of the time. Like I'm sure there's parts of your own city you haven't even explored and gone to. So really keep that in mind that it doesn't have to be outdoors or bust, but it can be a whole bunch of things and going with a friend and inviting people. We always say, well, there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. Well, you're just not thinking outside the box of what to do. So go Goog, you know, look up trails or you know, events or whatever it is that you're looking for um, in your area. I use Trail Run Project and it will give you trails all within a certain hour radius of you. And even if it's the flattest, most boring trail in the world, it's probably a bigger, better adventure than sitting on your couch sometimes. Um, That's not to say sitting and relaxing is bad, but you get what I'm saying. So I have to disclaimer everything. I sit on my couch all of the time. One other thing that I just thought of um, is like REI and gear shops. Um, I'm pretty sure, I mean, there's like REIs in just about every major city. Um, like they're a great resource. Um, if you could, you can like go to like your local REI's like website and look at their events page and they'll often have like workshops and stuff. Like that's a way to meet people. Um, but it's also a way to discover new trails, um, or just simply going into REI, going into your, your local running store or your local outdoor store and asking the people who work there, right? Like that's their literal job is to go, you know, run these trails, like you know, find these parks and go, you know, take these micro adventures. And um, so they're a really great resource and tapping into that, um, both for places to adventure and for people to do it with. Yeah. And if you're a college student or a graduate student, your outdoor rec club is going to have like discounted adventure trips for you as well that you can do with groups of people and sign up for that will range from small day trips to bigger trips that will be more affordable. So, you know, I think that I'm going to call everyone out here because I see this a lot is instead of asking people how, go find out how, like get curious and go actually look for the resources rather than being like, well, no one's ever showed me this, so it must not be possible. Well, it is possible, but there's resources out there. You just have to kind of like seek them out um, rather than expecting them to fall into your lap. Um, and sometimes that does, you know, means taking action or having to take a trip by yourself or getting out of your comfort zone and obviously being safe. We'll talk about that here in a second. But yeah, I completely agree. REI has like all of this stuff. And obviously REI is only in, like, in major cities, but there's going to be an outdoor store probably in almost every city or town or run run stores are like the the hot secret nugget of everything. There's going to be like one random old dude there who's ran like 62 races who knows like the secrets of the universe. Like I swear every run store has one. You know what I'm talking about. Like one bar who can game. probably connect you or plug you with something. Yeah. It's like, I don't, like, I don't understand. Like, it's like, he knows everything about running shoes. He's like ran some crazy race and then he'll like know exactly how to connect you with something somewhere else. And, and like, that's, that's my advice for everyone. So with that being said, Let's talk about if you do want to take a big adventurous trip. And I will plug, I did a episode back in May, 2021 with um, Bethany Taylor um, after we did our Zion backpacking trip. So I have that episode about how we plan our Zion backpacking trip and then planning adventures and backpacking and stuff like that. Um, I also have my Grand Canyon uh, 
rim to rim to rim recap and like tips for planning Grand Canyon trips as well um, from November of last year. I think that might have actually aired in the spring. I can't remember. But anyway, I do have a few other episodes we can link here in the show notes or the YouTube notes that you can go back and listen to that do reference those specific things that are more helpful. But um, let's talk today about planning big trips. So Laura, do you have any like key advice you have for planning your big trips? Oh man, I was just trying to think of the last time I really like took a big trip. Um, and I think it's actually, it's been a while. Um, I do have one coming up. I have a two week road trip to Colorado, um, in about 10 days, which I'm super stoked for. Um, and that, uh, yeah, (laughs) um, planning wise, that one's actually pretty easy. Um, I'm staying with my brother, so I don't have to figure out like Airbnb stuff. Um, I'm actually, am adding in a little mini trip, um, that requires an Airbnb, but that one, I don't know. It's not really so much planning. Um, I've, I've, I think primarily because of like where I've lived, um, both in Colorado and the Northwest, um, most of kind of the bigger trips I've taken have been, um, international. So they require like a broad, like scope of planning, obviously, and like a long-term like budgeting and things like that. Um, but in general, I think the main thing is like, you know, picking where you want to go, doing a Google, like seeing when the best time of the year to go is like weather wise. Um, Mm -hmm. I know for example, like here in Olympic national park, um, I get a lot of people who are like, Hey, like, you know, I'm looking at coming out there in like March or April. And I'm like, like, don't like everything's closed. The roads into the park are like closed until June. I mean, even you experience that, like this place is epic in the summer, but then in the wintertime, like so many of the trails and roads close down that you can't actually access a lot of it. Um, so like kind of, you know, like picking the place you want to go, seeing when the best time to go is, um, you know, getting realistic about like how long you can go, you know, based on your work, your budget. Um, and then, you know, how long you can be away for, um, And then just kind of like going down the line, like, okay, I have where I'm going. I have when I'm going. I have like how long I'm going, you know, where do I want to stay? Like, do I want to stay in an Airbnb and like just kind of hunker down and have like my own place? Or do I want to go camping? Do I want to go backpacking? Um, Do I want to do a homestay even? Um, And then, you know, do I need a rental car? Is this somewhere that, you know, am I going to a city where there's going to be plenty of public transportation? Or am I going to need a rental car because I'm going to Zion National Park? Um, And just kind of like working your way through kind of those big, like main, like logistical things. Um, And then you can kind of get into the nitty gritty of like planning the trails or, you know, where you're going to paddle or where you're going to run or where you're going to ski or whatever it is. And then, and then there's a whole thing about like permitting and all of that. And I know that you and Bethany like went over that, um, a lot of that in your Zion um, episode, so I won't like dive too far into that, but, um, yeah, I mean, mainly it starts with like, where do you want to go and when do you want to (laughs) go? Yeah. So I think I'm the one here who probably takes more trips and vacations than the average Joe, but I want to state for a defense comment that that's kind of part of my job. Now people get like really tissy (laughs) with me about my vacations I take. And I'm like, I'm literally working on my vacations. Like I'm like I'm like on a mountaintop having a photo shoot for my ebook. So like not complaining, but like, you know, I, I plan these things logistically intentionally so I can make you guys bomb ass content along the way. But with that being said, I travel a lot for trips, both regionally 
and at the large scale. And so I started from the ground up of doing like super low barrier to entry trips with my friends where it's like as many people as you can pack into a single vehicle and split gas with and you're going to camp with and you're going to bring all of your food. Um, I think I went from Kentucky to California and back in over a three-week trip that I took after my master's before my PhD um, in on, uh, for $500. That was like $500 for food, camping permits, gas, everything. And I like babysat and saved money in a jar to buy gear for that trip at the time. And like, it was epic, right? Like that was so cool. And sometimes I miss those days of when it was like romantic, when it was like awful at the time. Like you're literally sleeping in the worst conditions, but you're just so happy to be there. Um, mm-hmm. So I've gone from that to now I do do a lot of Airbnbs when I'm staying places, getting rental cars uh, or a hybrid of camping with Airbnbs and stuff like that. And what I say, I think people got hung up on this a lot and like it's figuring out where you want to go. And there's a million and one places that I want to go, right? And you can't get decision overwhelmed by that. You just have to figure out where you want to go first. And sometimes there's places that are a lower barrier of entry to going for the first time ever. So I would say like national parks, like like Smoky Mountain National Park is a really low, easier barrier to entry first national park to go to, right? It's pretty hiking friendly for people. It's really easy to find trails. There's tons of road accessibility. So you can look into stuff like that. Like, okay, of all the places you want to go and the things you would want to do there, what is the easiest to do? So I know when Bethany and I went to Zion for four days last year, people were like, you only took a four-day trip? And that's all the time that we both had with work was to take a four-day trip. But I had been to Zion before, and I knew that you could back the pack the West Rim partially out and back with what we did, like fly in, hike, hike, fly out, and do it just to have that. And that was a choice to make an abbreviated trip instead of an extended trip just because we wanted to do that. And that could be a long weekend. But I never thought that was a possibility until that first time I went to Zion. I met a brother and sister who were like, yeah, we're just here for a three-day weekend. We came, we're going to hike, and we're going to head out because we just wanted to be here. And I was like, well, shit. Like, <laughs> you never think that's a possibility, but it but it is, right? My best friend, Vanessa, the one I came out to meet, Laura – she came with me half of my trip. So I split my friends over the course of two weeks, one week with one and then part of another week with another. And Vanessa came for Memorial Day weekend. So she took off Friday from work and then flew in Thursday night. And then she flew back like Monday afternoon. So she was only with me for like four days or something like that. But she really had to take one day off of week because she planned it along a holiday weekend and stuff like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out your time frame, but figuring out where you want to go and if you can fit that in, right? So if you're trying to do a really, really big hike and maybe you need to acclimatize a little bit and you want to do that what before you go somewhere, maybe you're going to Colorado and you want to be there for four or five days before you go and do something, then you have to factor that into your trip of what you're doing. Like, what is the main objective of what you want to go when you do there? Um, Same thing with like when Chrissy and I did the Wonderland Trail this summer, we only had five days to get there, hike and get out. And we had a hiccup where it kind of got messed up and we had to cut our hike short, but that was it. That was all the time that we had, but we had planned it logistically down to the minute because we knew like when we had to be there, what we had to do. And that was a bigger objective. So we needed more time to fill that in than if we were just going to visit Mount Rainier National Park on its own. So you really have to ask yourself what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. But I would start for your first big trips, pick the parks that like you really want to see, but also have like a low barrier to entry of like getting into it, right? Like so Grand Canyon is something where you can have the most difficult epic 
rowdy rad day in Grand Canyon National Park, or you can go to the rim and hike a mile in and a mile back out, right? Like you can kind of choose your own adventure while you're there. And I talk about that in that other podcast, but you need to just figure out like, okay, there's all these places that you want to go. And obviously I'm talking about the United States, but Europe is filled with stuff. Australia is filled with stuff. The entire Asian continent is like filled with tons of stuff. So this isn't just to say you have to do this in the States, but I think the larger base of our listeners are in the States asking this. Um, But you had to figure out, you know, where do you really want to go? And there's going to be a million places, but pick one, pick one. The first big trip I took was to Acadia in Maine. And that was because me and my friend could drive there. And for some reason I had in my head, like, I want to go to Maine. And we did it. We just chose it and we went there. We, like, picked a spot on the map and we said, we're going to go there. And for our next trip, we went to Colorado because I'd never seen the Rockies. And that was something that I really, really wanted to do. And I could have chosen Montana or Wyoming or Idaho at the time. But I chose Colorado because Colorado was just, like, it, it just made sense and it was easy. And, you know, going places where there's national parks, I feel like is going to be the easiest thing to do because the national park system makes it for you where, like, all their parks will be on some sort of map. All of their hikes will be ranked. Everything will be like kind of, you'll have more resources and views and drives accessible to you without having to go as far into nature to get it. So I would say maybe like starting with like national parks is a really easy thing to do. Everyone likes national parks, but they're beautiful for a reason, but just pick one. There's, you have your whole life to travel. And obviously that's a privilege and like you need money and time, but like pick the place that you really, really want to see. Or if there's, you know, and work your way through that. Um, because there's always going to be somewhere else that you want to go, but do the best with the time you have and figure out how much time you have and what you want to do when you're there and like plan that. And then the biggest thing is I talk about this in the podcast episode with Bethany is if you need passes or permits for camping or hiking, I really encourage you if you like say now it's January if you wanted to take a trip in like June, July, August, like I would look up those permit dates now. Um, some places only release them a month out. Some people open them six months out. You have to like really watch that. So I would Google, like go on the U.S. national government like website for these things if you're going to these places or states um, to book and reserve these things, especially campgrounds, backcountry passes and hiking. So really figuring that out. But if you're doing something big, I would say start local, start small. Um, if you've never been backpacking before, but you really want to backpack some route you saw on a YouTube video in Colorado, like go to a local park or trail area or system and practice, you know, packing your stuff and doing those things before you do it. But you can start small and that's okay too. And so I think the next big thing is if you don't want to camp and you want to Airbnb and rent a car it, you know, really logistically planning that. Um, so that what I do with my friends is we plan, we've, book our flights separately, but like I figure out mine first, then I tell them when I'm going to land and they try to find the closest one to it. Cause I usually rent the rental car, um, and all of that stuff. And so usually like one of us does the rental car, one of us does the Airbnb or vice versa. So it's kind of like easier. And then we split the cost of everything. But I will say that like these types of trips are a lot more affordable if you can do them with more people or someone else. Like me running a car by myself is a lot more expensive than if I run a car and split it between two, three people. Um, same with Airbnbs. And sometimes nowadays, honestly, with the cost of things, if you don't have gear to camp and you don't want to spend that money on camping, it's sometimes almost just as expensive or cheaper to stay in a hotel or an Airbnb than it is to stay at some of these campgrounds, some of these places. I mean, some places you're paying like 20 bucks a night to camp. But if you factor in like if you don't have the money or want to buy, you know, a couple hundred dollar tent and a couple hundred dollar sleeping bag and a couple hundred dollar whatever, yada, 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 like 
it might be actually cheaper for you to split a hotel or an Airbnb or rent a car at that point in time um, than it is to just buy camping gear if you're not invested in doing something or renting that gear along the way if you are. So with that being said, I do a lot of Airbnb stays now um, if necessary, but if not, the rent-a-car tent, tent thing is, like, pretty nice, I would say. Um, but really just figuring out, like, what you're going and what you need to get there is the biggest thing. So with planning those big adventure trips, again, I'm going to, you know, reference you to those other podcasts. It's really figuring out, okay, I want to go here and I want to do this and I have this many days. This is what I need to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, this sounds really silly, but I spend a lot of time just, like, looking at Google Maps and being like, where, like, what looks cool? Like, you know, you pull up Google Maps and, you know, maybe you live in the Midwest and like everything on Google Maps is like tan, but maybe there's like a little spot of green, like somewhere near you and you can like drop a pin and, you know, do like directions to like this spot and see how long it takes. Like, like Alyssa said, like maybe it's a four hour drive and that's okay. Like that's justifiable for even like a one night trip. Um, I also just, while you were talking, I did a quick, another quick Google and there are like 20 national parks in the Midwest. Um, I have like no idea where they are. There you go. Um, but a lot of them look really well, there's cool. There's national parks I'm in like, South Carolina, swamps in Florida and yeah. Midwest. Like what? Yeah. I mean, I think this one's in, but anyway, so like literally just like pulling up your Google maps and being like, oh wow. Like what's that town? Um, another thing that I really like doing is outside online always publishes, um, a list of like 20 best adventure towns. Um, and they do a really good job of making sure there's some in the Northwest, some in the Southwest, some in the Southeast, Midwest and Northeast. Um, and so like, you know, pulling up those lists, you can go through all the archives from like, you know, back to 2015 or even earlier, I think. Um, and pulling up those lists and like finding those towns. And again, like finding which ones are within a half day drive from you and then, you know, picking that town and then saying, okay, hikes near like insert town and like Googling that. And then by that, like, you know, and then you go to Airbnb and you find like a really cool Airbnb in this town. And then slowly but surely you're building like a really cool, like one or two night mm-hmm. trip where, you know, you, the barrier to entry is super low. Like you just have to you know, get in your car and drive a couple hours to this cool town, do a hike, go to a cool breakfast spot and drive home. Um, and you know, I think just again, like kind of tying that back to what we talked about earlier is just kind of redefining, redefining adventure. Um, I think it's really easy, like, especially with Instagram these days to feel like your adventure has to be like a week long trip to Iceland or like, you know, climbing Mount Rainier or something like super epic. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it can just be like getting more familiar with like what's in your backyard. Um, and so, yeah, that's like kind of one of the things. And I know I did. a lot of um, like, yeah, go a ahead. lot of people are like very uncomfortable with the safety and the planning and knowing what to do thing at first. And like, this is a really easy way to get yourself comfortable with those things. Like I think the first few hikes I did in college were just like trail runs with random people like I knew from classes and stuff and like they brought me along somewhere and I was like, "Oh, this is cool. This is cool." Like and I would have never thought to seek that out myself at the time and I think that like you can get a lot more comfortable when you start cuz I think that's how I started. I made that New Year's resolution to start like living my life more back in like what was it? 2000 and 6 15. Um and the first thing I did was like go to a state park. 
And that like built my confidence slowly. And I think that like a lot of you should, you know, explore your state parks, take a small trip, take a like a small hike at this trip kind of thing and get your feet wet because the big adventures are built on small adventures, right? I don't run across the Grand Canyon and back because I just decided to do that one day. I do it because I used to go and do three mile runs at a local park along a river, right? Like big adventures are built on small adventures and that's how you develop confidence and safety knowledge and awareness and feet and expertise in outdoor. It's little by little, right? Like you learn as you go. And so yes, you want to be safe and we'll we'll pivot into this later, but you want to be safe, of course, but like you want to start small below that comfort range so that you're not pushing that threshold of safety and build up over time. Mm -hmm. All right. So hopefully you guys got our point. We're not saying just do it, but like open your eyes a little bit more. I know I'm really good friends with Taylor Eckel who I've had on the podcast before, uh, who's a DPT and I always am really awe-inspired by Taylor because I will really complain all the time about my lack of adventure in my own life, but Taylor every single weekend drives an hour and a half to four hours away from where she lives to go do something outside. And yes, she lives in Portland where like things are a lot more accessible, but I think about how many things are within like one and a half to four hours of me. And I'm like, won't, I'm like unwilling to do it. Right. Like I'm, I'm like, Oh, that's just too long. That's too far. That's whatever. And, um, (laughs) But when I do it, I always feel better. So I think like for me, like getting over that idea of what is a far drive versus not um, has really helped me a lot with reframing that. I think I just hate driving. But like reframing what that is to me in my mind and what I'm willing to do um, because you always – it's always worth it, right? Like I feel like it's always worth it after you do it. Even bad adventures always end up being a good story at the end of the day as long as like you're being safe and smart, of course. Um. But like you're you're never like, oh man, I'm I really regret that I drove to the mountains this weekend and spent time outside. Like you almost never say that. Um, but you'll almost never remember that you sat on your couch anyway. So I encourage you all. Obviously, it's winter a lot of places, but you can still do a lot of beautiful things in winter too. So with that being said, let's pivot into budgeting and equipment because that really factors in what people can do and cannot do um in the minimal stuff. So Laura already referenced it, but REI has it so you can rent um, equipment out of their um, out of their store. Like they have like an, a, an equipment rental thing. They also have like trips where they'll supply your stuff. Um, I also think a lot of local outdoor stu- stores do that. College outdoor rec centers do that. So and there's tons of secondhand nowadays. Um, what's the name of that one that's on Instagram? Um, um, I can't remember what I, it's called, I but there's a few secondhand outdoor. things. I, yeah, yeah, I sell, I it sell outdoor, outdoor or something like that. Um, and then honestly, like Poshmark, yeah. um, is great for like your outerwear. Yeah. Um, I have like my favorite Arcteryx coat that I wear running every day. I got for like fifty dollars on Poshmark, which is like, I don't know, a quarter of what it would cost full retail. Um, yeah, and and yeah, and like gear, like a lot of outdoor gear stores will have like use like the basements, like all the used stuff. Um, yeah, REI, like borrowing from friends, um, at least here in the Northwest, we have a lot of like Facebook groups that are, um, like buy, sell trade groups. You can like snag some super, um, inexpensive used gear, like from your, your peers, your neighbors. Um, and yeah, I definitely would encourage people to like rent and kind of, you know, if it's a sport that you're, you're just getting into, um, you know, definitely try like renting first if you can. Um, and if not, at least like buying used gear. 
um, before you ever like consider investing into something new. Um, the Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. When you're, when you're yeah, just like I think the tool. biggest thing with like, out, when we're talking about like clothing is gear kind of technically is clothing, but versus like outer layers and stuff like that versus equipment for what you need for sport. Um, I will say that like the equipment you need for sport thing yeah, I would really encourage you to rent that before you commit to something to make sure that you like it. Like go to a climbing gym and rent climbing equipment. Like go to a stand-up paddleboard place and rent their stand-up paddleboard or go with a group or something like that so you can see if you actually like want to do it. Don't think that you have to like, I have to own this to be able to do it. Like tons of places let you you rent things to try it or just do it one time or whatever it is um, so you can get exposed. So you don't need to feel like you need to go buy loads and loads of gear to even try something or attempt something. And a lot of the entry ways into outdoor sports is hiking. And hiking, day hiking requires the least amount of equipment. Even trail running for the most part, unless you get into like more extreme trail running, requires mm-hmm. very minimal equipment for you to do. Um, so don't think that you need to own everything perfectly and like have every item that you would ever possibly dream of. Um, but when it comes to clothing specifically, the biggest thing is that like you do want to make sure that you are dressing appropriately. So the biggest thing is if it's like wearing wool, non-cotton based layers is like a really easy rule of thumb, which I feel like a lot of people have synthetic fabrics nowadays anyway from workout apparel. So you probably, if you have workout clothes, you probably have outdoor clothes, right? So if you have workout clothes, you probably have outdoor clothes. And then like the fine little nuances are like having better layers, like a mid layer, a light shell, a heavy puffy, like a a, a small puffy, things like that. But the more expensive version of those usually are just because they're lighter. So they can pack smaller and be lighter. And that really only matters if you're backpacking or climbing or doing something where you're carrying your gear or you care about that. And they might be a little bit warmer, but some of the cheaper lower end synthetic things aren't necessarily going to not work for you and what you're doing if you're just hiking or day to day. Um, it's just that if you were to pack them up and try to put them in a backpack, it might take up more space 
on its own. But if you're not planning on doing that stuff, like I really think that like, unless you're climbing or backpacking, you probably don't have to worry about weight to size ratio or fill content or any of that stuff, unless you really, really care about things. Um, more so about, is it going to keep you warm? And does it fit you? I know fit is a really hard thing for people with outdoor clothing, especially with like lack of inclusivity. And I don't actually understand why outdoor apparel is not made for athletic bodies at all, because I'm like a straight size, like medium petite female and things do not fit me. And I'm like, why? Like, I don't, I don't understand if how outdoor sports stuff isn't even made for athletic bodies. So if you have trouble finding stuff, like this is a universal thing, especially for anyone plus size. So I do think a couple brands for that stuff is getting better. Like I think Marmot is one of them. I could be wrong on that one. Um, and being more REI size inclusive in their gears that. and packs and stuff. REI. Yeah. Actually, REI like REI's that. line of yeah, gear. So good. Yeah. REI's line of gear is like basically like an REI version of like Arteryx, Patagonia, North Face, like the things that are high and expensive brands. REI's version of it is actually like really good at a much cheaper price. Like probably I want to say like almost 20% off like the normal price tag of those things just because it's REI. It's like the Kroger brand version or the Walmart brand version of things of the name brand. Um, and if you aren't yet, I have an REI credit card and I'm not saying that you need to go open a credit card, but I get dividend points back and I'll buy gear with my dividend that I get back every year from spending money with it. But um, join their members system because you'll get a 25% off one single full price item and one single clearance rack item. What is they give it like maybe three or four times a year. I want to say yeah. like Memorial day holidays. Day. There's like a handful of times yeah. labor day. And so if you have like a big price item, so I bought an Arteryx zip up, um, mid layer when I was on my trip that I met Laura on that I was eyeballing for a really long time. And it was like a $200, not $200. It was like $160 jacket, but I used my 25% off. So I think I got it for like a hundred and like 10 bucks or something like that, which is pretty, you know, it's still expensive, but that's like 60 or $70 less than what I was going to pay with all my other dividend points and things like that. I bought my Patagonia nano puff with entirely with my dividend two years ago, um, that I have. So I didn't actually pay for it. Um, so keeping in mind, like using coupons and point systems, especially through REI can help a lot. Obviously you have to spend money to get points back from your dividend, which I have a card. So I, that's what I do. Um, but like there's ways to like really ball in a budget, but you, I would really encourage you to like think about the piece of clothing that you really need to add to your things. Cause you might be able to get started with just your current winter coat and workout clothes. Like that could be your barrier to entry and you could be have enough in your closet right now as is. I think a lot of people, and I'm sure Laura, you can vouch for this, feel like you need like this big fancy um, name brand, nice equipment repertoire, but like half of my outdoor clothes are just my running clothes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And I and definitely, for the most part, yeah. And I, I think that that's part of like, you know, influencer culture right now. Like, you know, I know that you have stopped like, um, you know, tagging stuff and, you know, linking your life. Um, because it is, you know, oftentimes the things that we need, like we already have, um, and you don't need this, you know, a whole new like wardrobe in order to go do these things. Um, honestly, like some of my favorite base layers are the 32 degree brand that you can get at Costco for like $5 for a top five dollars for some base layer bottoms like if you are somewhere that's like super cold in the winter and you need to like layer up um you know and throw some like extra layer on under your pants or whatever um and I know that like Costco too like even 
Um, I got a marmot puffy there once for like $30. Um, and I, I think it's like kind of like a, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think it's like quite to the caliber of like most marmot stuff. Um, but it worked like it was great. It was like kind of like the Patagonia nano puff. Um, again, like probably a little bit heavier because it was so cheap. Um, but it worked great. It kept me warm. Um, and so, yeah, like Costco and the REI brand. Um, and I know again, like REI is really, um, expanding like their size inclusive inclusivity. Um, and for packs, I think it's Gregory that just started making like plus size packs. Is it Gregory? Um, I think it, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it is great. I mean, there's certainly like a a lot more work to be done um, within the space, but companies are at least starting to, you know, pay attention now and um, starting to offer, I think maybe Columbia also um, and Eddie Bauer even. I don't know. But um, I think Eddie Bauer, I want to say Eddie Bauer, but that might just because that's all Regis wears. We're just like an Eddie Bauer walking model. Um, so anyway, I'd say the basics to start though is like you need like really your your top and bottom layers are athletic clothes and then like in layers of warmth on top of it. And those are going to be your your jackets and your pullovers and your quarter zips um, on top of it. And the thing I think that gets people the biggest hang up is shoes. Um, you can get a good pair of hiking boots. If you're just doing normal trail like locally – you can probably just wear your tennis shoes. Just make sure they have tread. Like I saw people summoning half dome with like Nike freeze that were like worn down to like, they were just like smooth soles. Don't do that. Like you want shoes that have tread on them, but a good athletic shoes with tread is going to get you a lot of places. Um, if not, I think people always feel like they need to go buy expensive hiking boots and not realizing that you can actually like, I mean, people I like think they like ankle support which is fine, but you can get a trail runner shoe, which is cheaper. I mean, trail runners are kind of expensive nowadays, but you can get a trail running shoe that can kind of, if you ever want to run and hike that they can kind of cover both bases for you. So you can have one shoe for multiple things. I know a lot of people hike in the ultra lone peaks that I wear. Um, if you want a good supportive boot, by all means get one, they'll last you for years. Um, but start with figuring out like what kind of shoe you prefer, go try it on. What's going to give you the most multi-purpose. So you don't have a million shoes. You only need like one or two pairs of outdoor shoes and like a pair of sandals, like maybe a pair of Chacos or Birkenstocks, a pair of trail running shoes and or boots, depending on your preference. I think shoes would be the first expense that I would do. You can wear a lot of your workout clothes and then maybe like a good winter layer coat. If you feel like that, or like a, or a, uh, a good raincoat. Those would be the three pieces that I would say, yeah, like I would start with looking at like a mid shell, a winter layer, a raincoat and shoes. Like those would be the first four pieces of outdoors, outer layer equipment. Everything else is kind of nitty gritty and it, you'd find it sports specific as you went into things anyway. Um, and then when it comes to actual gear gear for camping or anything like that, I'm going to say a tent, a sleeping bag, a stove is optional if you just don't end up even making your own food. So really like a tent, a sleeping bag, a, a sleeping pad, a pillow if you need one. Um, but you can pack that if you're car camping, which I encourage you to start with before backpacking because you can just bring a lot of this in your trunk and bring your own pillows and just literally sleep with real pillows in your tent. Um, but I'd say like the tent and sleeping bags thing is like the first place to really start there and sleeping pad. And I have an REI half dome and that's really, really affordable. Um, but every time we take a trip, I share tents with my friends. So like you could technically only have one of you, someone that you adventure with all the time, your partner, your friend, and you could sh- share that like piece of equipment if needed. 
Anything else that you would think would be like a really good baseline thing to start besides a first aid kit, but we'll talk about that here in a second. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I think like clothing wise, like good shoes, something to keep you warm and something to keep you dry. Um, cause if you can stay yeah. warm and dry, like you'll be fine. If you can stay warm and drive with happy feet, like you can do anything. Um, yeah, yeah that's and, the biggest thing. That's so that's And you live in the Pacific Northwest, so you know that more than anyone. <laughs> yeah. Gore-Tex if you live in the Northwest. Um, yes. yeah. And then, yeah, a tent, a sleeping pad, a sleeping bag and, um, yeah. And, and then, um, a, some sort of water, water filtration system, um, whether yes. if you are hiking, um, obviously if you're car camping, you can get like the big old gallons of water or whatever. Um, but yeah, so it's, yeah. And a lot of that stuff you can buy used or rent or borrow from friends and yeah. So I'll pivot water filtration into safety and knowledge base and intelligence. And I'll also say I have two other YouTube videos of gear that I packed for, I think, my 100K and my Wonderland and maybe even Grand Canyon. I can't remember. I have a couple videos up with gear. I also have a backcountry.com list of favorites of things. So I know I said I'm stopped linking my things, but the things I currently have linked and organized for you, like, please, by all means, go through. And I don't mind linking and organizing outdoor gear because I think that's actually, like, learning and important it's not just frivolous spending um so with that being said knowledge and safety so we'll start with water so water is the biggest one um i think the things that most of you probably worry about when it comes to outdoor adventures and fitness and uh objective stuff is actual safety like physical safety like being hurt by an animal or human um though statistically those are a lot lower than probably other things that are going to happen to you um and largely, I will say most of the places you're going to be hiking to start with will probably be crowded enough that or enough people around that there shouldn't be super big issues. As you get into intermediate stuff, yes, you have to be safe. And I will add the disclaimer that this isn't to deter you away from local stuff, but there's probably a higher chance of like, I think, assault and things like that in local areas. And there are actual like backcountry nature things. It just feels scarier because it's more remote, but you're actually statistically more safe. Um, obviously, that's harder to wrap your head around. So I'm the same way. I'm terrified of being outdoors still to this day. But with that being said, um, the things that you really need to worry about are, like Laura said, staying dry, staying warm, staying hydrated, and staying like, I mean, you can go a pretty good amount of time without food. But water is like super important um, for a lot of these things. So water filtration. What do you use, Laura, to filter your water? For backpacking trips, we have like this giant, like 10 gallon, I think platypus system. That's like a double reservoir. Um, so that I use for backpacking really love it. Um, and then for just like general, um, like day hiking or trail running, just something to throw in my pack is just like the Stanley life straw. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and then we also have, I think, think Stanley makes it, but it might be Katadin or whatever the other one is. Um, Katadin makes like a really good, um, yeah. Yeah. Where you just like fill up the, like you just like it literally like this legitimately saved my life one day. Um, Jared and I headed out for what was supposed to be like a casual, like five mile trail run, um, in the middle of August and like partway through, he's like, Oh, like we should just like climb up to this lake. And I'm just like, okay, you know, like we've only been dating for like a year and a half. I'm like gung-ho for everything at this point. I don't question anything. Um, And we go up to this lake and it's like, 
what is it? I've sent the link to you, Alyssa. It's like, it's called Goat Lake for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's something like two or 3,000 feet of elevation gain in one mile. It's like literally just straight up the side of a mountain. Um, and it's super dry. It's super exposed. And I was like on the like border of like heat. Like I was like in heat exhaustion, like borderline heat stroke. Um, <laughs> I just had to like, cause we didn't bring any snacks. Like we thought we were just like, again, going for a casual five mile trail run and we'd be back in the car in an hour. So we prepared for that and not for this like mission up the side of a mountain. Um, but luckily like Jared had packed this little, um, it's just like, it's like a, um, like a pliable water bottle or whatever that you just roll up around this little like straw. And so I sat down, like found the one tiny bit of shade on this trail. Um, I'm like nauseous, I'm dizzy. Like I'm starting to like see stars and I just kind of like parked it there and Jared ran up the trail and it's just this little water bottle that you just, he just held it next to a stream, filled it up with water. And then you just put the, um, you know, put the top on and then, um, the straw is the filter. Um, and that's really nice because it literally packs down to like, it's like this big, you can put it in your pocket. Um, and it like legitimately, mm-hmm. I think it saved my life that day. Um, so definitely recommend something so that like that. That sounds like a Sawyer. So I have a Katadin yeah, filter bottle, it. which are linked in all mm-hmm. my stuff. Katadin's filter bottles are what I use for anytime, you know, you're going to have mostly clear water, like nothing that's going to be murky or gross. Um, a Katadin's mm-hmm. fine. I don't know if I'm saying the brand name correctly, but that's what we use for trail running. Cause we can just pop it in our pack fill it with a bottle Mm -hmm. of running stream creek whatever water and then keep going or you can like filter it into your other bottles that you have to refill um but what she's talking about is a sawyer which is really nice and bethany had that when we were backpacking in zion and it saved our butt because one my dumbass forgot my filter water bottle for backpacking so thank god (laughs) bethany had her sawyer because i I mean it would have been fine because it was one night and we had enough but like also Alyssa, come on now um (laughs) i literally left it like in georgia but Bethany had a Sawyer, which is really nice because we had a drink out of this thing called Potato Hollow, which looked like a swamp, like something like Shrek was going to come out of. It did not look like potable water. But according to the National Park Service, that was the only potable water on our trail. Everything else, there was other stuff upstream that was not safe to drink. Um, and you can look at st- things from national parks. They'll tell you if there's anything unsafe to drink in the park, like they'll have like notifications, especially like Grand Canyon, Zion, places where like there's water coming from other sources um, where there might be an issue or an outbreak. Um, but Bethany had that Sawyer, which was really nice because you basically can run things through these straws or these filters with this bottle and scoop things up. Then it will filter out all the junk of what you would be ingesting if you were to drink things in water and a lot of running water is probably clean for the most part but these filter bottles just work by you know taking out these impurities um so if you have clean water you can use something like that catadin or they have drops like aquamarine or something like that drops um and if you have like large gallons of water and you have to like you're filtering water like while you're camping in the backcountry or you're somewhere more remote you can just like it's like chlorine drops essentially and it purifies the water and you just can't drink it for like 30 minutes and it has like two steps to it. Um, so there's a couple different things you can look into, but you really just have to figure out like what makes sense for you. So Laura's talking about like portability is going to be really important if you're hiking like backcountry things like that. And that's like a really great story example of how that was like a day hike. Right. And so things can happen on day hikes and like safety wise, like the things that you think are going to happen are not going to be what's happened. It's going to be like rolling ankles, dehydration, heat stroke, like hypoglycemia, 
getting stuck in storms more than these other things. So having mm-hmm. an easy, having enough water, making sure you have water, period, making sure you have enough or you have something that can allow you to filter your water um, if you need it. Um, also, a lot of apps have water sources listed on the app, like if there's going to be water or not. And certain times of year, places, water will be dry versus not, depending on the rain volume. So you really can look to see if there's actual water sources along the way. That was an issue for Chrissy and I when, when, when she got dehydrated, is we didn't have any water sources for a while. Um, and that was rough for many reasons. Um, so looking ahead and knowing like what the conditions are and having things. And there's a bunch of, if you literally go to REI again's website, we're just going to shameless episode plug for REI. They should sponsor me, but they have water filtration as like a tab option on their website. So, um, other than that, what do you bring for first aid? That's a big question we have. Yeah. Um, so I'm, it depends. Um, I am, Frankly, I'm not the best human. I know that there's like the list of the 10 essentials that you should always have. Um, And just in full disclosure, like I don't always bring those. Um, But that is because I am very comfortable with where I'm at, the trails I'm going. A lot of the trails that I go on, I've been on a dozen times. Um, That said, like stuff can always go wrong, even when you are prepared and you are experienced. Um, so just this last year I started, um, always bringing a, a med kit with me. Um, and that's just, I use the, um, my medic is the company and it's just like, they make all these little kits and the ones that I have are their hiker kit and their pet kit. Um, and so within like the hiker kit, there's like Benadryl and, um, electrolyte packets and, um, a, like an emergency blanket and just kind of like a lot of those really basic first aid kits, um, all packaged up into like a super nice lightweight, like tiny little thing fits in the front pack of my pocket. Um, and then I also have the pet kit, um, which frankly has a lot of the same stuff. Um, but just like an extra little, um, uh, peace of mind for when I'm bringing Cressy with me. Um, and so those two kits together, um, are just like very compact. Um, And I mean, knock on wood for all the adventuring I've done. Um, I've never really had to break into a first aid kit, Um, which like, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things that I think you bring and you like hope that you never actually have to use. So, Um, but yeah, it's definitely like, I know. um, So I, like I said, like I never really used to bring a lot of stuff with me. Um, And then Alyssa was your story of doing the Wonderland with Chris, with Chris, Chrissy. I want to say Chrissy because I was talking about her. Um, doing the Wonderland with Chrissy and having to like actually use your emergency blankets like in a situation that you didn't think you would need. Um, and hearing that story was actually what spurred me to be like, oh shit, like, yeah, I should probably start bringing stuff with me. Um, yeah, for those new here who missed it, um, I just talked over Laura. I'm sorry. For those who missed it, this summer I did with Chrissy Cagney. We did, we planned to do the Wonderland Trail in three days and Chrissy suffered from a very severe case of dehydration in the middle of the first day, which was 30 miles, but it was like too far point the past of like point of return when she started to show symptoms of it. And so we kind of had to keep going forward and it was like an actual kind of outdoors emergency. And luckily Chrissy's outdoor safety trained and I have like a lot of experience in long day ultra running stuff again, built from other experiences you know what I mean like I don't think a couple years ago I could have done what I did out there on that trip and been fine 
with it. But Chrissy and I ended up having to bivy bag it, which is a fancy way for saying we slept in the dirt in the middle of the woods off the side of the trail in emergency blankets till the night like till the sun rose up because the sunset we had a river to cross that was too dangerous to cross and Chrissy was like really sick so we had to like get her filled with hydration and just wait it out because there was no way we were crossing a river from a glacial river in the dark and so I slept in an emergency blanket which are those shiny blankets uh that you have in these first aid kits but what was really lucky for me is one I overdressed for the day if I did not have that extra layer um I would have actually been really worried for myself sleeping through the night with how cold it was. So I will never again be mad at myself for having too many layers. I will never again take off my extra layer. I will always keep my extra layer in the future. Like always for the rest of my life, I will now always have my extra layer. I'd rather be hot and carry it than ever risk what I went through again being colder than I was. And so I got lucky because Chrissy had brought two emergency blankets because she didn't know if I would have been knowledgeable enough to have one but I also had one which saved my ass because Chrissy had like a really good high quality one for herself that she wrapped herself in and then I slept on the ground on one and then one around me so I had kind of heat protection from the cold ground and then I had it around my body to hold in heat and that was probably what saved me because if I had to sleep in the actual dirt I had got I mean I probably would have been fine but I would have been very very cold so with that being said things do happen but we were smart right so um I had extra electrolytes. I had extra hydration. We got Chrissy to a water source kind of thing. But I have the list of the 10 essentials here, and it is navigation, um, sun protection, insulation, illumination, first aid supplies, fire, repair, kit and tools, nutrition, hydration, and emergency shelter. And of these, the ones that I always have is I always have my map downloaded to my phone, which phones aren't always reliable. But if you keep them in airplane mode, for the most part, they should last for most of your stuff like give or take on um, but having an actual map is always helpful if you're somewhere that you can't you know get out of without your phone or the trail isn't obvious on what to do um sun protection I always have sunglasses and I'm always shamelessly promoting phrase protect me lotion because that's what I use for all of my stuff um because I'm really big on skin protection and sunscreen um insulation we learned my lesson I will always have an extra layer for the rest of my life, no matter what. But if you're anywhere that your adventure might take longer than planned, even if it's warm during the day, or you're not sure what weather's like at elevation, it's always better to have that extra layer and not need it than to not have it at all. Illumination. I've read a headlamp when we went hiking in Asheville last week. So I had to use a flashlight for the first couple miles of our hike. So that was a lesson learned as well. So I will never forget my headlamp or any of this ever again. Um, fire. I don't ever feel like I bring a match. I feel like that is one that I, I never actually have with me. Um, repair kit and tools. Again, I don't feel like I actually have that with me unless I was maybe doing a bigger backpacking adventure. Um, I would bring that. But for the most part, when I'm trail running, I don't feel like my Regis actually carries zip ties in his trail pack if it breaks. So maybe I should start doing that. Um, nutrition and hydration. I'm really big about, I always bring more calories than you think you're going to need. Um, and more water or electrolytes or whatever than you think you need. Again, carrying your own stuff sucks, but having that extra little bit. Um, so I always pack for like a trail run, like 250, 300 calories per hour and a hike like two to 250 calories an hour, depending on how intense it is. If it's slower, that may be less. Um, but just making sure you have enough food that if you ever ran into a situation where you needed more calories, you would have it, but always bringing more water than you think. Um, or making sure that you have the ability to refill it wherever you're going. And then emergency shelter, which is a tent, a plastic tube tent, garbage bag, um, or those baby blankets that I just 
told you that we slept with. So I have one of those um, emergency, they're like the little yellow emergency first aid kits. You can get them on Amazon and REI. Pretty sure I have them linked in my Amazon um, shopping list that should be in show notes for you guys. Um, But that's what I bring in my trail pack if I'm doing anything solo or like anything bigger, which has like alcohol pads, ibuprofen, I think like tweezers, um, antihistamine, stuff like that. Um, I always bring that with me. I also will always bring, if I'm doing anything that I will be in the dark or there's risk of me being in the dark, I always bring a second headlamp or an extra pair of batteries. That's something that I always make sure to do as well um, when I am doing those things. So that's really, you know, those are big. So if you're day hiking, um, most of your trails are going to be short, quick, heavily accessible by multiple people. You'll probably have cell signal and you'll probably have like people around you. But if you're doing anything a little further, a little remote, a little bit longer, you know, really making sure you have these things because people have gotten in trouble and situations with a lot less before, um, not thinking they need it. And so even the smallest hike can turn into a lot of things, especially depending on where you're doing it at. So being safe and being aware is really important and not thinking that, well, like I'm a newbie, so I don't need these things. I think there's those memes that make fun of the people who are like way overdressed when someone has their toddler on a trail. And like, you don't need to be that person who's like dressed like you're going to backpack the PCT when you're doing a day hike, but maybe having a backpack with an extra bottle of water and some like general first aid and a headlamp isn't aggressive or a bad idea at all. Mm-hmm. So do you have anything to add to yeah. that? I just kind of ranted, but I pulled up an old Instagram yeah. post from back in the day. No, one on of my the 10 essentials. <laughs> one of my favorite sayings is um it's better to have and not need than to want and not have. Um so when you're on the yes. trail, like like Alyssa said, like always making sure like take the amount of water you think you need and then pack one more. You know, take the snacks that you need and then pack an extra, you know, 300, 500 calories worth. Like, I mean that like the weight of like an extra, like Lara bar or whatever is not going to kill you. But like when you're out there and like your day turns into a night potentially because something happened, like you're going to want those extra calories. Um, I was hiking in Oregon this summer, like a super, super popular trail. Um, and it blew my mind how many people were walking up the trail. Like just in their like shirt and shorts and like no water bottle, no snacks, like no nothing. Um, when like on that trail, I think it was two or three years prior. I don't know. There was this huge, um, wildfire in Oregon. Like some kid had set off a firework and it just like spread very quickly. And a lot of those people who were, um, like on that trail ended up, um, getting stuck. Like they literally, um, yeah, this is like one of the most popular trails in Oregon. And, you know, they just went out for what they thought was going to be like a casual three mile day hike. And they ended up like, I think it was, they got stuck overnight and then had to, um, you know, with the help of the search and rescue crew, like, like find their way, like off trail, like going up this like crazy mountainside or whatever. And then like around and like to get around the fire to get out. Um, so that's a situation where, you know, if you're just like going out for a casual day hike with like no water and no food, like you have no control over what's going to happen. And, you know, like I use my example of my hike turned trail run earlier, um, you know, things do happen. And so having that basic preparedness, you know, having, like Alyssa said, like always having some sort of insulating layer, like no matter what, like 
I will always put like my mid-weight puffy like in the bottom of my pack, like no matter what I'm doing, even if it's 85 degrees out, like I have that with me. Um, and then yeah, packing extra snacks, packing extra water, or at least making sure that like you have a water source with some sort of filter. Um, and then just as like another like safety thing, something that I think, um, is really important is, um, when you are like finding these trails, like whether you're looking on like your local state, like trail association or, um, you know, trip or trail runner or whatever, like app it is, um, trail run project, um, you can look at recent trip reports. Um, and so this is something that I do, um, both for like safety in the sense of like, what do the trail conditions look like? And then also safety in the sense of like, how many people are using this trail? Is this something that I feel comfortable going out on my own? Um, cause typically like I'll do, you know, I'll do any trail as long as I have someone with me. Um, but there are certain trails that I feel comfortable doing alone and that's because they're more heavily populated. Um, so I can kind of figure that out by looking at those trip reports, seeing how many comments, like if there's, if there's only been like one trip report in the last like three or four months, like that's probably not a very heavily trafficked trail, probably not something that I want to go out and do like on my own. Um, that's definitely something that I would, you know, prefer to bring like my husband or a friend on, especially for the first time doing it. But if there's like 10 trip reports in the last like week or two, like, okay, this is a trail that's like very heavily trafficked and probably something that I would feel very comfortable like going out and doing on my own. Um, because I know that there's going to be like a lot of other foot traffic, um, should something like happen. Um, I would not be like out there in the middle of the wilderness, like by myself left to my own devices. I think that's great advice too, is like for the fear and the safety and learning thing is like, what's that cliche quote from into the wild is happiness is only real one shared, but like go out with someone the first time you go somewhere and get familiar with it. So like I would go running solo in North Georgia a lot when training for my ultras, but there were certain areas that I was more willing to go alone on my own than with Regis. But there was a lot of places that I went for the first time with Regis, not because like I'm not a big, strong, independent woman that don't need no man because going somewhere alone for the first time brings more unfamiliarity. And I'd rather have been somewhere before and know what the terrain is like and the conditions and the trail and the distance and stuff before. Um, and if it's heavily trafficked and there's a lot of people around, like I'm more willing to do that by myself. Um, cause that's just a lot easier to, to navigate. And there's usually people around and it's fine. Like it's, it feels like almost safer than going to the grocery store sometimes. Um, but like kind of deciding of when you need someone with you versus not. Um, and that's a great is like looking at trip reports. And I know like if you're ever doing like mountain hikes, if you ever are ready to do like your first 14 or something like that, like Colorado has like 14 or reports, like a whole website. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like just like 14 reports.com or something like that. And they also have ones for 13ers. Um, yeah. 14ers.com. And so you can look up reports of like weather and conditions on trail and like what it's like kind of things. So depending on like what you're trying to get into, um, depending on how gnarly it is versus walkable or whatever, um, you can actually see that in the weather and predictions and safety and stuff like that. So there's a lot of resources at your fingertips where you can make sure that like, we don't want you to be paranoid and think that everything can turn into the worst day ever because statistically I've only had like a few really bad days amongst all of these things that I've done. Um, but with that being said, like it's better to have the things that you need than to not have them at all. So, um, 
the only other thing I think I'll add is that Bree just has like the most extensive first aid kit I've ever seen in our car and we bring it everywhere when we go on any trip and it is like a EMT decked out level first aid kit with like CPR masks and like gurney not not gurneys um uh tourniquets and all the medicines you could need and like we've talked about getting an EpiPen um just to be safe for anything that we do because we do some bigger stuff but like we just even sometimes brings things from our first aid kit and like brings them out when we're like in public places in case someone might need it so like I guess you could be prepared for anything at any point in time like like he brings our first aid kit around with us like in whatever car we're bringing to the store or whatever he's like you never know when someone's gonna need something in this first aid kit and I'm like all right Mm -hmm. grandpa um but like (laughs) things can happen in a target you know what I mean and like you should hopefully be prepared for everything all of the time. So just being smart will eliminate a lot of issues of being unsafe. So we've kind of covered, you know, I have my little notes up here, um, being safe, having the knowledge to do things. I think the biggest thing for people too is like knowing what hikes they're prepared to do and they're capable of doing. And I, it's hard to say that cause like only, you know, what you've done. And so we, I kind of would say, like we said earlier, like start smaller than you've done or go with someone who knows more. Cause they'll know when to turn you around. They'll know when to stop you. They'll know when it's enough and they'll know how to keep you safe. I feel like I'm the babysitter mom on all my trips that I take. Um, <clears throat> but like that just comes with having more experience and that's okay. It's not bad or you're not stupid or embarrassing or lame to ask someone to go with you or to tag along with someone who's more knowledgeable. Cause they might be more willing to make the calls on things before you know, to make the call on things, I guess. Um, but do you have any tips for people who like feel like, cause I know like your whole thing. So if you guys don't know, Laura started something called back of the pack, which is to like celebrate people who are maybe not like the really elite front pack people and the things that they're doing fitness wise. And I think that's the group of people who feel like they're never prepared to do things. So do you have any advice, Laura, for people on like finding hikes that are their, their, their like capable of doing or their confidence level or their experience or fitness level can match up to so they can still feel safe and like good about what they're getting into? Yeah. And I think it's twofold. I think part of it is, you know, being prepared. And then the other part of it is, I think a lot of the times, like people just don't like believe in themselves enough that like, you know, you are actually capable. Like if you can walk three miles on pavement, like you can walk three miles on the dirt. Um, And so I think part of it is just like building that self-belief in people, um, which comes from doing these things over time. Um, so one of the things I will say, like safety wise, kind of, um, and this is like another dadism from growing up, um, is that the summit is only halfway. Um, so if you're going out and you're doing, you know, something that's maybe a little bit outside of your comfort zone, um, just remember that like reaching the peak, like you still have to then get safely down. Um, so just kind of like keeping that in mind when you're assessing like your energy, your fatigue, um, you know, any like aches and pains that you might be having. Um, just realizing that like, yeah, you, you know, reaching the summit is great, but like getting back to the car is better. Um, and so I would say like, you know, again, on like all of these, um, you know, trail, like trail association, national park websites, trail run project, all of that, um, you can filter by level of difficulty. Um, so there's like easy, moderate, hard, very difficult. Um, if you are new to the outdoors, like, please do not go like beyond moderate at first. Um, you know, the easy trails are definitely going to be something that, you know, they're typically very like runnable trails, um, flat without rocks and roots and things like that. Um, moderate trails maybe have like a little bit more elevation gain. 
um, maybe some rocks and roots to navigate. Um, and then once you get into hard and difficult um, and very difficult, like especially those higher end ones, you start to get into like kind of like some more scrambling and things like that, um, which are definitely things that, you know, you want to have experience and friends to go with on those. Um, but when you're just getting into it, um, you know, filtering by those easy and moderate hikes. Um, and then also by like mileage, like, you know, when you're first getting into hiking, um, or, you know, trying to find things in your area that you can maybe do in like a half day or whatever, you know, looking more at like that four mile range, um, and then kind of working your way up and then always remembering that like, you can turn around at any time. Um, you know, most, most of the time trails are out and back. Sometimes they are loop trails. Um, but if you have like some sort of watch, it could be an Apple watch, a Garmin, Sunto, whatever it is, um, just like keeping track of your mileage and knowing that like, you know, if at mile two of what is supposed to be like four miles out and four miles back, you know, you're starting to feel like pretty fatigued. Like you can just turn around. Um, you know, you don't have to push it and go to your destination. Like you can work your way up to that. Like say there's a lake out there that like, you know, you've seen this picture of a lake and you really want to hike to this place. Um, you know, but maybe it's like five miles each way. Um, you know, you don't, you don't have to do it in a day if you're not feeling good. Like you can, you know, hike two miles out and two miles back. And then the next week, maybe you can hike like two and a half miles out and two miles, you know, and just kind of like work your way up to that. Um, but yeah, definitely like using those filter systems, using, you know, filtering by easy and moderate filtering by, um, you know, length, like, you know, mileage wise. Um, I think one of the things I try and always think about, um, is, you know, I can generally walk like on pavement, you know, let's say like 17, 18 minute miles. Um, it's like a very comfortable walking pace on pavement. Um, but as soon as you add dirt and rocks and roots and a slight bit of elevation into hiking, you know, my average like walking hiking pace goes up to like 22 to 25 minutes. Um, so just kind of keeping that in mind when you're planning out like your timing, like, okay, a 10 mile hike, like let's just say 30 minutes a mile. Um, and then that way you can kind of plan out like, okay, this 10 mile hike is probably going to take about two and a half hours. So I need like X amount of time available, X amount of snacks. Um, yeah. And again, just like always knowing that you can turn around at any time if you're not feeling comfortable, um, or safe in that situation. But, um, <clears throat> again, like, I think that's speaking, a great like, point too is, yeah, no, Go sorry. Ahead. I keep, we keep <laughs> lagging on each other and I keep talking over yeah. you thinking you're done. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. I think those are two great points because one outdoor stuff is just like fitness. Like it's just, it is fitness. I think people forget that like fitness buys you freedom to do things that you want to do. And that's how fitness has always been for me. And that's why I do the things that I do. And my long-term goals include outdoor objective stuff, but even if the lower level of stuff, like that's such a great point of like, you can work up to doing a hike and walking so far. And, you know, and over time with that, like as you get used to different types of terrain, you're going to know your pace, um, depending on how much incline it is. And you'll start to get familiar with time. Like, okay, like this has a hundred feet of gain per mile. This has 200 feet of gains per mile. This has 300 feet of gain per mile. And I cover this in ultra where I go over like the increments and the increases of fur, what you can expect, which you could apply ultra to hiking. Like a lot of the information that ebook is just, it's trail running, but it's still hiking because trail running is just essentially hiking, but you just say you're running and you're not half the time. Um, <laughs> it's fast hiking with a smaller pack. Um, but with that being said, 
um, you'll start to kind of get used to that. And knowing what your paces are is something that like you'll start to get the hang of just by doing it. Just like you kind of know what your general reps you do in the gym and your mile pace on the road is like, or on the bike or whatever you're doing or your power intensity in that cycling class or time for wads, stuff like that. So you can figure out for yourself what that looks like for you and how long that's going to take you. And I think that makes it a lot easier when planning stuff and then you just kind of know what you can do and so I hate to say that it comes with time and exposure because of course like with outdoors there there's more stuff that goes into it but like really it is just time and exposure it's 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 reps in and building up the capacity to do what you want to do um while also like you know just learning what your body is capable of doing and I think the biggest thing with that too as well is if you're hiking with other people telling them when you are like, Hey, I need to slow down. Hey, I'm feeling altitude sick. Hey, I'm feeling nauseous. Hey, I don't feel so hydrated. Right? Like you need to communicate the people that you're going with. And if you're with a good, nice friend, partner, outdoor adventure buddy, they're not going to say, screw you, tough it out. Like they're probably going to be smart about what they're doing. Um, and making sure that you're just as safe as them. Like I know I've gone hiking with Vanessa in Rocky Mountain National Park a few years ago and there was still a ton of snow in July and I just got more experience in the outdoors the last few years than her and there are some places and areas where I was like okay like I was teaching her about like three points of contact and like giving her my trekking pole and like making the post holes and telling her what she needed to do to be safe and like telling her when we needed to turn around on things and telling her when we couldn't do certain things because like I like that I was more responsible in that situation as that friend but it was but she might not have known to tell me that and vice versa where I've been on hikes with Vanessa or Tatum my other friend or the these are just my friends I take trips with they're like hey I don't feel great right Tatum and I did a 14er and she's like hey like we're up here but like we got to turn around fast because I don't feel good I was like okay like that's that's fine. Like that, that's, you have to communicate that. So it goes both ways where if you're the more experienced friend, make sure that you're communicating with your less experienced friends. So they know what they're doing and that teaches them. Um, but then if you're the, if you're still learning, don't be afraid to communicate with whoever you're with, how you're feeling. Because like, think about like the situation I had with Chrissy, if she wasn't as experienced, like I, that could have been a lot worse of a situation, right? If she hadn't communicated with me what was going on, so that I knew what was going on so that we could plan together um, rather than just like being surprised by it. So that is my rant on that. But with that being said, a lot of people asked about fitness and getting fitter for hikes. And I think that's a conversation for another day. So we don't run out of, so we don't go over too much time. That's something maybe I can talk about solo. Um, but really the, the short and sweet answer is you need to have an aerobic base and you need to do step ups. Like that is my, like, that's my quick response to that. Um, but general fitness will take you a really long way. And then the more you do it, the better you get. But if you want to maintain fitness for hiking, but you don't do it all the time, you take sporadic trips, like you're going to have to find a way to keep some aerobic training into your training and like lower body, single leg strength. Like that is just what you mostly want to keep into your stuff all of the time. If you're not doing it frequently enough that the hiking itself or the outdoors adventures themselves is like the stimulus for you kind of thing. So you adapt to what you give yourself. So I'm a really big fan of like step ups and, and incline walking and the Stairmaster and stuff for hiking fitness. Um, especially like there's a difference between being generally fit and going and doing a hike versus like, if you're doing an objective, you have to train for that. Like there's a big difference between the caliber of the things that you're doing. So Laura doesn't need to like do an extensive training plan other than just general fitness to go on a hike after work. 
But if I'm planning a big adventure trip where I have an objective of a distance and I know the elevation gain profile and map, I'm going to make a specific training plan to account for that. So really just factoring in like what you're doing. General fitness will take you a lot of places. Um, I would hope most people have a general fitness that they can do most of the easy to moderate hikes. It's that more you know, advanced or harder, difficult stuff in the longer it gets. So the steeper, the longer, or the more technical it gets, the more you're going to have to have some specific training for it. So anything else you want to add? Um, no, I think we covered like quite a bit. I think, you know, again, just like really wrapping it up, like back to the beginning of, I think what gets a lot of people stuck is that they think, they have to take this big grand adventure. Um, you know, they have to get on an airplane and rent a car and like go to this national park in the West. And it's like, there's a lot of adventure like out your back door. Um, and I think just kind of like redefining that and, you know, finding the beauty of like where you live. Um, even like you said, like, even if it is an urban area and you're just like exploring a new part of your city, um, some of those adventures, like, when I think about like my international travels, like some of my favorite part of those trips is just exploring the cities and and getting to know those a little bit better. And, um, you know, whether that's like via biking or just like running a route around the city or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I think in general, just kind of like lowering that, lowering that barrier of expectations of like what an adventure has to be and, and just finding those little ways to sneak it into your life, um, is, is huge. And like the benefits of that are, far and wide and will help support the bigger adventures. Um, you know, like you said, like small adventures add up to big adventures. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Small, bigger, small adventures add up to big adventures is the theme of this whole podcast. Maybe we should change the title to that. Bethany, Luke, (laughs) I don't know. We'll talk about it. Um, so with that being said, I'm looking at the Q and a questions that you guys gave us. And I think we did a really good job. Laura and I chatted before this episode to plan what we were going to talk about with these. And we had some last minute ones. So I think for the biggest things that I'll, I'll, I'll touch, I'll like rapid fire these right now, um, is people, a lot of people finding places. We gave you tons of resources, use them, um, look into those things, how to choose because you get FOMO and there's so much to do. Pick one. Just pick one. Mm-hmm. Don't let decision fatigue keep you home. There's always going to be something to do. Um, but if you're doing nothing, then you're doing nothing. Um, having friends that don't share a love of the backcountry and hiking. So the last thing that people wanted to ask about, and then we talk about here, is finding people to do things with. So Laura, do you want to tell them about your Strava group? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like Alyssa mentioned, um, I recently founded, um, the back of the pack community, which is essentially just, um, in celebration of the average, of the average everyday adventurer. Um, so, you know, the person who, you know, is working a nine to five and, you know, maybe doesn't, you know, isn't running an eight minute mile. Um, you know, I kind of talk about like, um, you know, we're running 10 plus minute miles. We're, you know, drinking ciders on summits, like tailgating afterwards, like just kind of out there, um, kind of the tagline of it is nothing epic, just an epic time. Um, so just out there to have a good time and explore a new area. Um, and you know, without attachment to, um, a necessarily a performance goal. Um, and so one of the things that I recently created was a, um, Strava group for back of the pack. I think a lot of the time Strava is like king and queen of the mountain and, you know, trying to like smash segment records and all of that. Um, so I wanted to create a space like within Strava that was like, 
you know, Hey, like you're still out there. Like, you know, a mile is still a mile, no matter how long it takes you to do it. Um, and so just kind of creating a space to help, um, people connect. So we have a Strava club. Um, if you are a member of Strava, um, whether it's free or paid, all you have to do is go into the clubs tab and search, um, it's BOTP space community, um, back of the pack community. Um, and, um, I think right now, like, I don't know, there's a couple hundred people in there, but essentially just like, um, you know, introducing yourself, there's a welcome post. Um, there's already people that I've been seeing that like, you know, live in the same town. And so just kind of enabling people to, um, connect with other, um, slower adventures, if you will. Like, I, I don't really like that term, but like, you know, just people that are, um, you know, kind of again, like average everyday Joe's out there doing things. Um, so just kind of a way to connect with people, hopefully in your area, um, and find running buddies, find training buddies, finding, you know, things to do, um, or friends to do these things with. Yeah. So I think it's a good point. A couple of people here like worry about not being fast enough, being passed, being too slow. And, you know, we all start somewhere. And again, that can be a fitness goal if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be, but that doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be on trails. Um, there are people that are going to be faster than you. Yes. That is true. That is going to happen because there's elite people somewhere in everything that we do. Right. But that doesn't mean being, you know, I call, I joke when I run ultras, I run in the middle pack dad squad and like, I'm okay with that. It's great. I have fun there. Right. Um, and so like, that's okay to be in the middle back or not have objectives and things like that. Um, two other great resources are Bethany Taylor has a iron souls, group for outdoors and adventure she's starting um as well we can link in the show notes and then our friend chrissy the one that i had my dehydration bivy bag episode with has a really great um group and resource for outdoor stuff for um you pretty much not men women and like anyone else not men um called send femme um that is a uh like a online group and resource and educational resource as well. So I will link Bethany and Chrissy's uh, groups below here. They're really great. They're very knowledgeable in the outdoors. Bethany and Chrissy also host trips that you can go on. And then so does Laura. Um, I'm not sure about what your plans are for 2022, but um, these are three great resources within our circle of people hosting trips and adventures for you and helping you create community. We will link them all in the show notes here as well. You're going to come to Asheville. Yes. <laughs> Just don't tell Sometimes anyone I'm coming until day. I show up. Don't tell anyone that it's the littlest trip. Um, so I think really the the rest of the questions are like making sure you eat enough when there aren't supermarkets and shops around. And this is where like you will in your trip planning, you'll buy all the food that you're going to need ahead of time and you'll buy a lot of non-perishables. Um, stuff like that. Um, learning to get over thinking McDonald's is bad for you because there's going to be a McDonald's everywhere in the U.S. and you got to find something to eat if you got to find something to eat. I'm pretty sure I ate McDonald's for the first time ever on my really big trip. And like, like I took like, I didn't eat fast food for years and I took a big outdoors trip and I was like, man, all right. Wendy has, Wendy's has baked potatoes and McDonald's is everywhere. So you got to have to figure <laughs> out how to make do with what is around you. Gas station meals, um, getting those little fire pot things, the little camp stoves and bringing ramen and instant mashed potatoes and tuna packets and canned chicken and keeping it all in your car. It's depending on what you're doing. Um, that is kind of what we've always done. Um, people who, well, okay. Some of you don't want to drive and I'm going to have to just tell you that that is just, I talked about that already. And myself, I think sometimes you just got to get over that you have to drive if you want to go places or just don't go there. Um, I, I get it. It sucks. Um, but again, 
there's probably so much around you. I think it's the driving and the being in like, I'm in Florida, I'm in the Midwest thing that a lot of you are struggling with. And we already touched base on that, but really like just opening your mind to what you think adventure is and not having it to always be epic. And, you know, looking into these resources that we share today and being safe and being smart. And if you can finding people, um, between your local, you know, trail running groups or running groups or outdoors clubs or university or whatever it is, um, to kind of tag along with you because that will make these things all the better. And finding even just one adventure buddy, I feel like can make such a big difference. Um, even if it's your partner or a family member or something like that, like that can help a lot as well. So I think that's it. I think we did a really good job at covering all of the questions that people had. Um, so I will shamelessly plug my ultra guide here to you all. If you're interested in learning more specifically about trail running, but also, um, a lot of that stuff is applicable to outdoors. It's not like a specific hiking stuff. Um, Chrissy and Bethany's resources also have a lot of educational resources for um, outdoors as well. And I do have a few posts up on Instagram and Laura has a ton of content on her Instagram as well um, about fitting adventure in your life, especially like Laura works a more normal job than I do. She's a nurse. So she has a lot of really great content for you on that. So I guess like the last note um, before we leave, Laura, do you want to give any advice to our friends working non-traditional jobs or having hectic schedules or nine to fives or feeling like they never have time for these things. Um, cause I feel like my advice kind of falls on dead ears sometimes because I'm self-employed and a grad student. So I'm, I could, I could technically be sitting in the middle of Wisconsin right now if I wanted to, and no one would question where I was. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I recently, um, in the last couple months went back to full-time nursing, um, which was a slap in the face as far as like time. Um, but yeah, I think again, like one of the things that I've been doing lately is just like going for walks, like in our neighborhood. Um, and just like, again, like finding those little tiny ways that you can, um, you know, fit and venture into your everyday life. And, and then also something that I've tried to do is always keep something on the calendar that I can look forward to. Um, it's like right now, like, you know, I'm, I'm in this season of like hustle hard, work hard, like, you know, someone else owns my schedule. Um, but finding those little ways to, to, you know, to sneak it in, whether it's, you know, going paddle boarding on the way home from the grocery store or um, going for a walk every morning, you know, going for a run um, before I go into work. And then, um, always having some sort of like trip or fun thing on the calendar. So for me, like, you know, I've been like busting my ass for the last four months and I know that like, oh, I have this two weeks in Colorado coming up and then I'm going to come home and like bust my ass again. And then, you know, always, but like always like keeping something on the horizon, um, whether that's like, you know, just, I mean, even if it's just like a little weekend trip, um, to kind of like break things up a little bit. Um, and then I think like, you know, one of the things that nurses really struggle with is, you know, having those non-traditional days off. And that's where like, you just have to learn to do it by yourself. Um, and that's like not the answer that everyone wants to hear, but like, you have to learn to do it by yourself or you have to learn to like ask your other like nurse friends or other people with like non-traditional hours and jobs, um, you know, to go with you. And I mean, the beauty of like having those hours is that like trails are more empty like through the week when you you know other people are working and you might have those days off so um yeah just just making it happen <laughs> I don't know it's I know 
I know. People <laughs> want to hear it. And there is a degree of privilege to being to do the things that we do and accessibility and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But a lot of times for, I think, a lot of the people asking us these things, the obstacles in front of you are more your mind and yourself and just taking mm-hmm. action and finding resources than it is like an actual, like, legitimate obstacle. So instead of saying, well, I live in the Midwest and there's nothing around me, so I can't do what you do, take that attitude and go put it into some effort of saying, well, I can't go summon a 14er in my home state, but what can I do? What can I go to look at? What can I, you know, where can I go? And so, yes, the Midwest is like a lot less than the East Coast and the West Coast. That is very true. I'm not acting like you have but like stop associating adventure with elevation, I guess would be what I would say. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I think that's where people are making the mistake, which I love elevation. Mm-hmm. I, like I love it more than anything. It makes me cry. It's the best thing ever, but it doesn't have to be elevated for it to be epic. So maybe that's a better mm-hmm. way of saying it. Maybe we'll leave on that note. New sticker, Laura. It doesn't yes, need to be elevated it. to be epic. <laughs> New sticker Perfect. for back of the pack. So awesome. Well, Thank you so much, Laura, for being here today. Hopefully we can have um, our back of the pack adventure before I leave the East Coast, maybe. If anyone hears that, I just totally gave a, uh, what's it called? <laughs> an Easter egg? An Easter egg, if anyone made it this far. I didn't say anything else beyond that. You'll find out more about my life later. Um, but um, hopefully we can adventure together. If not, I'm planning an epic, my goal is to have an epic Instagram friends Colorado trip at some point. That is my goal. I want to have an epic outdoor Colorado Instagram friend trip. Hell or high water, it's going to happen. So um, hopefully we'll be playing in the mountains sooner together than later yes. next year. So super stoked to have done this. I hope you all learned a lot. Um, I know this was like a slower beat episode, but we wanted to be really information heavy as a resource for you because we really wanted to answer all of the things that you guys are struggling with because we want you to adventure more in 2022. Uh, outdoors adds such an it's such an amazing amount of value, um, to my life and to everything that I do. And I don't know, I know Laura feels the same way and we want everyone to kind of have that a little bit. Um, so with that being said, let me see if I can pull it up. I just closed Instagram, um, from that other post, but let me see if I can find one of my, okay. This is one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite books. So Brendan Leonard is the author of that blog post series, semi-rad. You might see his little doodles around the internet, and he's a recovering alcoholic turned rock climber turned ultra runner. He has an amazing documentary from REI called How to Run 100 Miles about his friend. And his first book is called um, 60 Meters Anywhere. And then his follow-up book is called The New American Road Trip Mixtape. And both of those books are two of my favorite books I've ever read. And the quote from Brendan Leonard in his New American Road Trip Mixtape is, my map is a collection of climbing destinations, wilderness areas, and national parks, places I want to go see natural beauty, feel small, and maybe stand on top of something. I've been to the places I've been because I saw a photo of a certain mountain or a lake or a trail or heard about it somewhere and packed a backpack and drove there. So with that, I will leave you with those words because you really just have to say, hey, I want to go there and you got to go there. And that's that's how I've led all of my trips and all of my things the last few years. And cultivated a life around adventure because I say I want to go do that thing and I figure out a way to make it happen in a way that works for me. So 
Thank you all so much for tuning into the Messy Middle Podcast or if you're tuning in on YouTube, I appreciate you being here as well. If you're on YouTube, again, subscribing, liking, commenting is super helpful. And then if you are listening on the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, Um, tag Laura and I. If you share this anywhere, share this with a friend. We really, really hope you gain something from this. I will link Laura and all of her resources that we talked about today in my show notes today so you can find us and follow along. She has a ton of tremendous um, resources on her Instagram as well. So hopefully you will all see more content from us in 2022 together. Yay! (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, Laura. We'll catch you guys next week on the next episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. See ya. Bye. And stay messy. Stay messy. (laughs) Demand better. (laughs) 